Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Dawn. I'm joined by Aaron Hughes. Hello. And Carol Peck. Hello. Who is back after a, a fortnight absence. I am. Did you miss me? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the whole thing just collapsed without you, Carol. Quite I, I heard. I mean, I heard, obviously, I heard the first one. I, I didn't get round to listening to the second one. No, neither did anyone no, else. No one did. <laughs> No, apologies for that. Technical issues denied you all listening to the return of Callum Petch to our podcast. Uh, although we'll get him back at some point, I'm sure. Um, yeah. But yes, um, apologies for that one not coming out, but we're back. Um, Carol has a grudge to bear with Owen over the quiz in her absence, I believe. Well, I, th- I think there was a bit of cheating attempted, but ultimately foiled. And and James, thank you very much for your Gareth Bale heart thing. I I did that made me laugh a little bit on the tube, and someone looked at me funny. <laughs> What's the, oh right? Because I picked a film I forgot I was talking to him about earlier. Yeah. Is that right? Okay. I don't yeah. even know. I don't even know why you were trying to cheat. I don't. I, I don't understand. I genuinely for completely <laughs> forgot I talked to him about it. It's just because so. Owen, Owen would rather watch a film that I recommend than a film that you recommend. That's that's probably a fair a fair point to make, to be perfectly honest. Uh, uh, I treat both of you equal. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, it is uh it is now two one to me. Which means if I win this one I need to pick a film and I haven't got any prepared, so um You better not win then. Yeah. <laughs> or I can do what Owen done and just say I'll pick it at the end of the podcast you can, and do it then. Yeah. I think yeah. that's a good idea. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, shall, I sm- shall I make a start of it then? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, again, just to annoy Steve mainly, I'm not going to do it in a chronological order. So starting in 2012, um, they were in Dark Shadows. Carol. Yeah. Is it Eva Green? It's not Eva Green. Oh. You're going to have a pop, Steve? Um... I don't know who was in Dark Shadows other than Johnny Depp, because I'd never seen him. So I might as well just say Johnny Depp, hadn't I? Okay, it wasn't Johnny Depp. No. Had nothing okay. to lose, did I? No. Okay, so in 1948... Oh, God! <laughs> this is their first ever film, okay? So I'm just throwing this in there as mainly as a, as a clue. 1948, they were in Corridor of Mirrors. So I don't expect anyone to get it from that, but there you go. Carol, I, well, I haven't actually seen Dark Shadows either. I just remember the poster. I just remember random people on the poster, and Johnny Depp was one of them. But uh-huh. it's obviously not him. He's not quite that old. I know he is apparently defying time, yeah. but I don't think he's that Victorian old. So I'm going to go, for... <sighs> go for Christopher Lee. I don't even know if he's in Dark Shadows, but he strikes me as someone who might have been. I cannot believe you've got it off that. No it's way! Christopher Lee. So yeah. Christopher Frank <laughs> Carandini Lee. Yes. <laughs> Amazing. What? What's his? Why is he in that? I've, I've seen Dark Shadows and I can't remember. So, yeah, that, was, that was a total. Answer. That was a total guess, which was utterly inspired. I I thought he was a proper actor. He did proper films. Yeah, but he's like ninety years old. So. He, he is zero fucks given these days. I yeah. he's even doing like metal albums. He just does not care, and I wouldn't either, to be honest. Fair mm. play to him. Yes. Well, you follow yeah. the rest of it. Would you, would either of you have got it from Sleepy Hollow or the Man with the Golden Gun? I might have got it from Sleepy Hollow. I definitely would have got it from Man with the Golden Gun. Yeah, okay. he's yeah. one of the great Bond villains, I think. Exactly. Yes. 
Yeah, I'll go from that, but never mind. So you're spared for another week then, Steve? Yeah. At le- least. Next week is a, is a next goal wins, winner takes all. It is. Uh, one quiz shootout. I can't wait. <laughs> one, you better one, both have <laughs> films prepared then, in that case. One, I definitely will. A one question showdown. Yeah. If you let me know what your films are in advance, I can cheat again. And I'll pick uh, the one I want. How, how about no? <laughs> some, some of us have morals and ethics, though, and I know you don't. Yeah, some of us, but not anyone on this podcast. Well. Hey! <laughs> Drag me down to your level. <laughs> <laughs> and other than uh, uh, going to New York a big absence for two weeks, how has it been to London Film Festival? And in the absence of any real movie news this week, she is going to tell us about London Film Festival. Um, okay, well, I actually went to half of London Film Festival because I was away for the first half in a vague attempt to, to sort of not go to much and to save some money, uh, <laughs> which didn't turn out particularly well because I ended up seeing, I think I counted 15 films in six days or 15 programs in six days because two of them were, were short film programs as well. Uh, it was tremendous fun. Um, quite a lot of, uh, even though it was the second week and, and historically, um, not loaded with, uh, with big premieres, uh, quite a lot of premieres still, um, obviously Fury is already out in the US and I think is number one, uh, from the weekend, but it's not out here, it's not out in Europe until this week, so we had the European premiere of Fury to close off the festival, um, which was really nice, and, um, we also had premieres of uh, some big Oscar contenders, uh, Foxcatcher specifically and and Whiplash, which mm. have both been talked up massively for for awards. But unfortunately, they're not going to be out here until January, so I feel it would be remiss of me to talk about them too much. I have written a, a small diary. I don't know whether anyone has actually read it on the um, on the website uh, in two parts, and there will be a short review of the uh, of the shorts programs that I saw as well going up shortly. Uh, so, yeah, it was a great success. Um, we were told on the last night that the attendances were actually up 10% from last year. So over 160,000 tickets were sold, uh, which considering it's only 12 days and it's 248 films, I think, they had this year, uh, is just incredible. And it was, it was really surprising because I haven't been to any midweek showings in the day for a long time. But obviously, uh, this week, this year, this year, I was able to take advantage of that, and almost every single one I went to was absolutely packed. The only um, the only screens I went to that weren't like seventy five percent full at least were the shorts, uh, which is to be expected. But um, yeah, everything was just incredibly busy, even for films that have been playing two or three times already at midday on at, at Leicester Square on a Wednesday. Um, they're all just completely, almost sold out, if not sold out. So, a massive success, I think. Yeah, seems like it. Seems like everyone who saw Whiplash as well, I know you don't really want to talk about it too much, but it seems like, as you said, could be a big winner at awards season, because I haven't seen a single negative comment about it. It it should be. It's, it is an absolutely fantastic film. It was definitely one of the highlights. I was kind of upset that it came so early. I think it was only the second day that I went I saw that actually um so you know I've seen quite a few since then um but yeah it was absolutely fantastic um and yeah I I can easily see if it's not up for best film I'd be surprised I would be absolutely astounded if J.K. Simmons isn't up for some sort of acting award I'm not sure whether it would be best actor or best supporting actor though to be honest I don't know how they quite work it out but Hmm. I, I can definitely see it got the um, audience award at Sundance this year, and if that's the only thing it goes away with, I will be utterly astounded. Yeah, yeah. Well, like I say, I've I've seen a lot of positive and, and nothing negative, so I, I'm really looking forward to it. It's just a shame I've got to wait till January. I can't believe it. I'm yeah, gutted. Sorry. sorry about that. <laughs> just rub our noses in it. Why not? Did Did you mix with anyone famous? Yes. I I spoke to James McAvoy uh, on 
Friday, I, I can't even remember what day it was. Friday, I think it was. Um, I was standing to the side. I went to the premiere of his film, Disappearance of Eleanor Rigby. And, and again, I've written about that on my diary. Um, which is really good, actually. And it's quite interesting because it's actually a, an amalgamation of two separate films that the director made from his and her perspective of a relationship difficulty which was quite interesting but yeah um james mcavoy was just kind of standing next to me as the um because we get we got these trailers before every single film so that by the end of the the, uh, festival i knew the trailers off by heart and we bonded over the the sci-fi season which was quite nice and obviously i can only really remain cool around famous people for about (laughs) five seconds so i was kind of chatting to him about this this sci-fi thing oh yeah that looks really good really good and then i said and then i thought i've got to say something but i can't really turn around and say oh i loved you in x-men so i just turned around and said i loved you in macbeth i thought you were really good in macbeth (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, he was very nice about it. He t- touched my shoulder. He was lovely. So uh, yeah, James McAvoy, nice guy, and and nice even when people are, are weirding out on him. Didn't, I've, didn't, seen, I've seen him in interviews, and he always comes across as a really sort of laid back but very funny person. Yeah, he's but. he's pretty. He's just exactly as I expected. He's just a normal normal bloke, really. Very mm. very. I only, I only spoke to him for probably about a total of about a minute, but um, yeah, very nice chap. Um, I did also speak to the director, uh, well I spoke to a few directors actually because there were a lot of Q&As um, after films, including uh, ones in, in the daytime which is quite nice, we don't normally get that. Uh, so I had a bit of a chat with Michael Winterbottom about his new film, Face of an Angel. He's very defensive about the whole idea, that <laughs> 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 uh, people aren't too keen on it. Um, and I also that wasn't your question, was it? Why no, no, are people it not keen on this? No, it wasn't. No. <laughs> you need to be a little bit polite when you're talking about these yeah. things. So um, I also spoke to the director of uh, Honey Trap, Rebecca Johnson, um, which was an absolutely amazing film. When that comes out, I'm going to have a lot to say about it. Um, and also the director of The Salvation, whose name I can't pronounce. I'm not even going to try. He's a Danish guy, very nice chap, looks a bit like uh, Jermaine Clement. Uh, out of Flight of the Concords, <laughs> like a lot like Jermaine coming out of Flight wow. of the Concords. Um, but yeah, he's a really nice guy as well. So yeah, lots of nice people. I didn't really, didn't really come across many not nice people. So you didn't get to speak to Shia LaBeouf? No, I did not get to speak to Shia LaBeouf, unfortunately. He seemed just as crazy as he always is, which I'm beginning to warm to him. I really kind of like him now because he's just completely mental. He, he just, again, zero, zero fucks given. Yeah. Um, I, I heard someone told me, I don't know how true this is, I haven't had time to look it up, that he has a cut on his face at some point during Fury. I don't think that's much of a spoiler during a war film. Yeah. And, uh, and he actually cut his own face because he didn't think the prosthetics were, um, convincing enough. <laughs> please, please be true. I just, <laughs> uh, some of the stuff, he spent, how many, was it a couple months with these, um, Religious folk just trying to learn why their what faith means so much to them and stuff like that. It's yeah, brilliant. It's he, turning he, like, into joined like the a, ministry, didn't he, or something? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's turning into like a, a real life Daniel Day Lewis instead of the crazy stories you always read about him that turn out not to be true. It's brilliant. To be fair, though, it's, I think it's probably worked. But we'll talk about Fury yeah, in a bit. We will. That brings us into part one, and in part two, we've got what we've been watching. Time then for what we've been watching, where we take a look at some films that we've seen in the last week or so. Not necessarily new releases, and me and Owen will be going over some old ground, but you've not heard it, but we'll be trying to make an old review that we've done from last week sound new, fresh, and relevant. <laughs> yeah. Um, which, will be, which will be a challenge within itself. Um, so may, may, maybe while we prepare ourselves for that, Carol can start off what we've been watching. Uh, with anything in particular? Pick your favourite from Pick the London favorite. Film Festival. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I um, I had obviously quite a few uh, favourites, but I think one I will talk about at the moment uh, is actually one of the first. I, I think it was actually the first film that I saw. It was um, I, t- I talked about it earlier because I met the director whose name I'm still not going to try and pronounce, <laughs> uh, which was a western called The Salvation. Uh, so I sat down to uh, this at six o'clock on a Tuesday night, heavily jet lagged having only got back about midday uh, after a delayed flight and everything. But, you know, I, I powered through for for the fail critics, readers and listeners. Oh, we appreciate and it, Carol. Good. I'm yes. glad someone does. There's no rewards, just, you know, 
We appreciate just it. a smug sense of self-satisfaction. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, this is a Western. Uh, but it's an unusual Western because uh, it's made by it's made by a Dane. It's written, co-produced and directed by the same guy who was a Dane. Uh, and it was uh, made with a Danish crew and filmed in South Africa, which isn't something you can say about many Westerns, to be honest. Um, it's actually got quite a, a surprisingly starry cast. Um, the main character is played by Mads Mikkelsen, and I, I'm going to be honest, that's why I went. I love Mads Mikkelsen. I will watch him in anything. I think he's just, I think he's great. Um, but it's uh, got a lot of other people in it as well that, that you'll know of. Um, it's got Eva Green in it, a fellow Casino Royale star. Uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan is the obligatory like bad guy who's <laughs> taking money off people to keep them safe. Uh, Jonathan Price is in it. Uh, as the mayor stroke undertaker, because obviously you've always got to have an undertaker in a black hat in a western. Oh, yeah. of course. Uh, and it's also got someone called Eric Cantona in it. Who <laughs> I, I have to admit, I, I did read that in the program and I completely forgot about it. So when the opening titles came up and his name came up, there was just this baffled giggle from about half the audience. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, he's, he's not bad actually, he's, uh, he's pretty good. But, um, yeah, I mean, the actual tale itself, uh, is a pretty bog standard west. It's, it's basically a revenge tale. I don't really want to give it away by, by saying what exactly the revenge is for. Um, but it's about a Danish settler who has come over to America in search of gold and the gold rush, uh, in 1870s America. Um, and then a, a tragedy occurs and basically he's, he's made friends in this town, but the entire town sort of hang him out to dry and he has to, uh, basically find the guy who's uh who's threatening his life and threatening everyone in the town unless he unless they hand him over um and it's it's fantastic it really is it's um you know it, it's not like a groundbreaking western or anything and i have seen some um reviews say it's quite kind of formulaic but honestly in this day and age, you don't get many westerns. It's it's pretty. I mean, compared to some of the westerns we've had lately, and I can't remember really many we've had that haven't been remakes. I don't know whether any of you guys can think of anything. The last one um, I can really remember watching is Three Ten to Yuma. Uh, yeah. Wild Wild West was uh, that doesn't really count, original. does it? No, why not? I don't think so. There was not a giant mechanical spider in it. Granted, it probably could have done with the introduction of a giant mechanical spider. You you said. What, you know, has there been any original Western? That is very original. Recently. Well, the West is actually about 15 years old. <laughs> <laughs> it, depend, it depends on what time scale you're looking at, so if it's recent or not, doesn't it? I, I suppose so, I suppose Does that so. new one with um, Tommy Lee Jones that's due out, that I can't remember the name of, that's... I know uh, nothing about this film. There's a, yeah, there is one with Tommy Lee Jones in it, I can't remember what it's called, but there's definitely a new original Western coming out. Cool, okay. Um, but of the ones we've seen... Yeah. Though. <laughs> the ones that are actually out. <laughs> yeah, the ones that are actually available to view. Um, yeah, I, I can't really remember having seen a, a decent Western. As I said, 310 to Yuma, the, the remake of that was pretty decent. But I'm sure I'm missing out on, on something. I'm sure there has been one since, but I just cannot think of it. Um, and it's really, really good. Uh, obviously, Mads Mikkelsen is excellent, because uh, he always is. Um, it's, it's a bit difficult now, though, seeing him and not thinking he's Hannibal. But... <laughs> Within the first five minutes, you sort of get over that. Um, but actually, I thought the best performance, or one of the best performances, uh, was Eva Green. Uh, surprisingly enough, she she has a really difficult um, she has a really difficult job because her character doesn't actually have any lines. Uh, so everything she everything she does is just kind of acted through her face, essentially, and through her body movement. And she does really, really well with it. I do think Eva Green's quite talented. I think she's made some iffy decisions of late. The aforementioned Dark Shadows, as mm. an example. Um, but I think I think she's excellent in this, and uh, yeah, definitely one of the one of the best performances I've seen her give. Um, yeah, obviously Jeffrey Morgan is kind of your archetypal bad guy, really, isn't he? So uh, he's he's pretty good in a in a western. And Eric Cantona actually isn't too bad. He doesn't have many lines either. But the one line he does have is hilarious, and uh, and and very xenophobic, and uh, yeah, he's he's pretty good as well. He gives quite a good kind of menacing uh, performance as well. So I'm not sure when it's going to be coming out. Um, there isn't actually a, a date on IMDb for it yet. I'm not sure that it's got a distribution deal even. But when it does come out, uh, Salvation definitely one to watch, especially if you're a Western fan. Anyway, it's uh, de- definitely one to watch. 
and I recommend it. I do love Mads Mikkelsen. He's Everyone one of the best. He's, he's brilliant, isn't he? He's, he's amazing. I don't think I've seen him be less than brilliant in anything. Just... I, I've seen him in some less than brilliant films, but yes, he definitely. always makes them watchable. Yeah. The legend of uh, Michael Colhas, I think, that was at Cannes this year or last year. He he was again. The film itself is a bit iffy, but he was just phenomenal in it. He's just one of those actors, isn't he? he just, yeah, yeah. Pick some perhaps not brilliant films, but at least he's trying new things. You know, I mean, who would have thought he'd appear in a western? It's not the type of thing you'd expect an actor like Mads Mikkelsen to, to the type of film you'd expect him to be in. But you know, fair play to him, especially if he's actually quite good in it. Yeah, um, and, and obviously you wouldn't expect him as a, a very obviously Danish man um, to be uh, to be cast as like the main guy in a western yeah. either. But yeah, yeah. he hand- I mean, there's even some Danish subtitles, not not many, but uh, right at the beginning for about ten minutes there are some Danish subtitles, and um, yeah, it's just it just really is a departure from the norm in that sense. But um, I, like the the actual story isn't going to win any originality awards, but it's just very well made. It's very well done. The Homesman, by the way, is the name of that film with Tommy Lee Jones in. Oh, thanks. It's due out in November. There you go. Brilliant. In case anyone else that. is listening and just got, kind of knows what I'm talking about, but can't remember the name of it either. There you go. <laughs> the Homesman. Okay. Uh, so then, uh, Owen last week had the pleasure of watching Michael Bay ruin another part of our childhood by <laughs> watching Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the movie. Uh, how did that one go for you? Yeah, okay, first of all, and I'm going to correct you, not because I'm being pedantic, but because I think it's quite easy to make this mistake. Lots of people make this mistake. Michael Bay is a producer on this. He didn't direct it. It's directed by a guy called Jonathan uh, Liebsman, or Liebesman, I think it's pronounced, um, who I knew because he directed Darkness Falls, which isn't a fantastic horror film, to be fair. But he also did Battle Los Angeles, um, oh, and that's he a did. Film. <laughs> he also did the uh, Clash of the Titans sequel, Wrath of the Titans, which was surprisingly not as terrible as the previous film, but still not particularly so, yeah, particularly yeah. fantastic. So, so it was CV was pretty top notch then. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think he must be like. Um, Michael Bay's protege because this film it you would even just going to see it in the cinema it's very difficult to to spot who actually directs it because Michael Bay's name is all over it it looks exactly like a Michael Bay film um his name's just very small hidden away in the credits kind of thing you know I have to admit, I did think that Michael Bay was directing it until I worked out the timescales and realised there was no way he could have done this and Transformers in such a short space of time, unless one yeah, had but... monumental post-production, like more post-production time than yeah. normal. Well, I don't really know, because this started development in 2012, and Transformers is obviously just a constantly ongoing thing for him. He's always doing something to do with that franchise. Always transforming. Um, he is, yeah. He's rolling out Transformers films all all the time. That was a pun. Um, nobody laughed. Never mind. Moving on. I, I so, laughed. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles then, yeah. I mean, basically, it is the same sort of thing that you would expect from Michael Bay in that it's got a lot of obvious humour. The jokes are really straightforward, a bit naff, a bit crude, even. Um, I'm not going to say racist. I don't think the Transformers jokes that everyone had a big hoo-ha about were racist. I don't think they were. I don't think this is either. It is just very stereotypical and easy and simple and dumb humour. But anyway. Um, were the turtles aliens? Because that was a rumour, wasn't it? That was, the, that was the rumour back in, when it came out that they were going to be aliens. But no, they actually make a point during the film that they're not aliens. They actually... I think April O'Neil, played by Megan Fox, turns to um, her cameraman, Vernon, who is played by Will Arnett, and he says, Oh, so are they like aliens? And she goes, No, that would be stupid. So they actually <laughs> acknowledge <laughs> this rumour that existed. 
Which I kind of liked in a way. At least there's a bit of self-awareness about it. Um, well, it is kind of lame, I guess. But the, yeah, so I mean, the story, everyone knows what the story is, don't they? I mean, it's four mutated terrapins that have turned into teenage turtles that are are ninjas. Why are they specifically teenage? And and isn't, aren't terrapins and turtles two separate things? Yeah, they are. Terrapins are smaller. They're not teenage mutant ninja terrapins. (laughs) Well, they were terrapins. (laughs) That would be brilliant, though. Imagine trying to put that on the poster. Uh, yeah, I don't know, actually. Maybe they did say they were turtles in this. In the other films, the older films, they definitely were terrapins. And then they turned but into I, turtles. If you can't change... You can well, change they're mutants, Steve, so they can, yeah, they can, can be whatever they want to be. You can mutate from a a, a normal turtle to a, a mutant ninja turtle. You can't change from a terrapin into a turtle. That's impossible. Yeah, but, but technically, there aren't any actual six-foot ninja turtles either. So, well, they're I'm, a I whole new species. I'm interested in what specifically makes them teenage well. Do they, like, Snapchat each other? They eat a lot of pizza and doss about, basically. Yeah, but I do that, and I'm in my 30s. <laughs> well, maybe it's to do with their age. I don't know. Maybe they're just 13 years old. This, this is a question for the ages, I think. Mm. Yes, quite. <laughs> but perhaps not this podcast. So, <laughs> it's set in New York. There's the Foot Clan who are causing a lot of um, bother for the residents of, of New York. And there's some vigilantes that uh, April O'Neil, as a reporter and a news anchor, has spotted. She's sort of made um, made aware of their presence one night when she goes to a dock and she's saved by these mysterious vigilantes. And they leave their symbol on there and she starts investigating it. And that's really kind of the main problem with the film is that nobody is going to watch Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles to see a story about April O'Neil, you know. Granted, you need a human character in there at some point, because that's almost like your window into the Ninja's Turtles world, you know. Um, but there's just nobody goes in it to, into this film to watch April O'Neil and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You go to watch the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and they don't turn up for, a, I mean, about probably 20 minutes which for a kid's stuff, that's just too long to start with. And then the story is mainly focused around April O'Neil and figuring out her history, what happened to her father and the company that he worked for and how things might be involved with um, Shredder and his plan to dominate the world or whatever nonsense it's actually it, meant to it, be. It just sounds like her dad then is like Spider-Man's dad. Yeah, it's not, it's not too, yeah, that's not too dissimilar, to be fair. Um, cause he, her father apparently is a, like, research scientist. Um, so that's how she gets involved with the Ninja Turtles as well. Who could, who could gene splice and turn terrapins into turtles? He turns terrapins <laughs> to turtles and turtles to teenagers. That's cross, what he does. Crossbreeding, that is. That's a very niche market. I don't think there's much <laughs> funding available for those kind of projects, but he managed to get some, and this happens, and then the Ninja Turtles go and fight Shredder. That's essentially the, the plot. Um, but yeah, like I say, it doesn't really spend enough time with the Turtles, because despite everything, they are actually quite fun characters to be around. They look ridiculous. I don't know why they decided to do it, but they look like Shrek on steroids. They just have the, the very strange face and build, and it doesn't really work for me, but whatever. It's just a minor gripe, I suppose. Um, but they're, they're very funny sometimes. Michelangelo, in particular, kind of steals the show when he's on there. They do sort of have unique character uh, traits to them that have worked really well, and then together they actually... Um, Seem to work quite well as a, as a, a sort of foursome, which you know, in some previous incarnations of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, people have ignored. If I'm thinking of the the animated film from 2007, for example, what that basically did was split the turtles up, and they each had their own story, which is pointless. It's pointless. Completely misses the point. So at least in that regard, they got something right. Um, but the humour, I mean, it does. It is very goofy, anyway. That that's sort of what you'd expect. It's very goofy, and a lot of it is quite obvious jokes. So the thing to remember about Teenage Mutant and Ninja Turtles is when they were created in the eighties, they were lampooning something, which was 
popular culture. And at the time, the popular culture was about all things ninja. You know, you had Shokasugi, who was making films every, every sort of few months. Um, ninja films were really popular. Um, it just became a really big pop culture thing in the 80s. And so they lampooned that. That's what they were for. No, they're not really relevant. It, to, to, to do that, it's not, there's not really any point to it. So it's just the fact that the things that, the, that they're meant to be, um, lampooning or parodying or satirizing, it's just, not, it's non-existent now. So all you're left with is just, to excuse this pun, just empty shells of what they should be. You know. <laughs> Sorry. You, you didn't do that last week. That wasn't No, I didn't. That week. was a new one. Did you like that one, Steve? <laughs> I don't know if I liked it, but... Is that why I was the only one that laughed? Because I'm the only one that hasn't actually heard that one. No, no, he didn't do <laughs> that Nobody one last it. week. No. That was, that was brand new. That was brand new. Yeah, exactly. I can write new stuff in a week. Just give me um, seven days and I'll come up with another pun. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, overall, I suppose it's okay. It's not the worst thing that Michael, Bay, Michael Bay's name has been attached to. Um, it's only an hour and 40 minutes long as well. I think a lot of kids will probably... Get a kick out of it. Hey, there's another pun. Because they're ninjas, so they get a kick. Anyway, so it's an hour and 40 minutes long, rather than two hours and 40 minutes. So, you know, as Michael Bay's Transformers film seem to be creeping into epic lengths at the moment. Yeah, it's, it's comparative nice to brevity to, to trans- when you put it alongside Transformers, isn't it? Precisely, yeah. But the one thing I will say, in because compar- I'm going to keep doing this, in comparison to Michael Bay's films, in Transformers 4, the, the one that was out this year, the action scenes were <laughs> shot. Yeah, because there's loads of them, and nobody knows which one's which. It could be Transformers 6 for, for most people, though. But the one that was out this year, um, the action scenes in that were, they were much improved on from the previous incarnations. The action scenes in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are like the action scenes from older Transformers films. From, well, you like, can't see what's going on. You can't see what's going on at all. The, I, I don't know why the camera is, sort of pointed down, uh, it's sort of shot from waist height pointing upwards, spinning around and wobbling at the same time. So you've got no idea what's actually happening on screen in a lot of the scenes, which is a shame because they seem to have put a lot of effort into making these um, big, funny, goofy um, action sequences. So like, you know in The Hobbit, the recent Hobbit film, where they're all going down the rapids on the barrels and stuff, and that's shot really well and it's quite humorous. Uh, there's a scene that's sort of similar to this, but instead of on a rapids, a slide to down a mountain. Um, but you just can't really make out what's happening and when, and it's a shame um, because I think with a bit more depth, a bit more craft, it could have been could have been a lot better. But instead, yeah, like I say, it's just okay. Performances are decent enough, I suppose, but. Who really gives a shit, to be honest, about the performances in a, in a film like this? It should have been more cartoony than it was. Instead, it was a bit too focused on sort of a human aspect with April O'Neil. Uh, but yeah, it's okay. It's just a kids' film, really. It's interesting what you say about um, when it was created in the eighties. It was lampooning ninja stuff. Because I don't know whether you can remember the the series of the eighties, Owen. Steve might, because he's quite old. Um, well, I but, was born in 86, but I remember um, when I grew up, I did watch the cartoon series. So, so do you so remember hang on, that hang on, they were called... the same age as me. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay. You just act like an old man. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know whether you remember, but they were never allowed to be called Ninja Turtles. On, they were Hero on Turtles. T- they were Hero Turtles. And Michelangelo got... never had nunchucks or anything Exactly. Like there was never anything remotely ninja-esque about them. So, the whole joke was lost in this country from the outset. But they... But the, yeah, exactly. But the comic that was created was what was lampooning to nature. And then, of course, they became more popular than the things that they were parodying, you know, trying to take the piss out of in the end because of the cartoon and the toy line and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. So it was a comic first and then a cartoon. Um, and I'm going to be honest, the cartoon's not very good. I rewatched some... I made a, I've written an article on the website which... I asked my wife to read, and she said, yeah, that was quite good, but I don't really know what your opinion of the film is anymore. That was just lost. Because <laughs> I went off on a tangent about nostalgia and the original series and stuff like that. I went back and rewatched the original series, uh, or some of it. I watched something called How It All Began, which is something I used to have on VHS. It wasn't very good, to be honest. <laughs> um, but I have written about that in my article on the site, if you're at all interested. 
How, how was Raphael a bit of an emo dick like he is in all the other turtle stuff? Uh, no, I mean, no, he is always the lone wolf of the the team. That's yeah, sort of his he, character. An emo dick. Which <laughs> colour bandana is Raphael? Is he red? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know um, what you mean. So this point, the point of his character really is that he uh, is a bit anarchic and Leonardo is the appointed leader. He's not elected, he's appointed by Splinter. And that causes a bit of friction between him and... Uh, between Leonardo and Raphael. That's not really... It's not expanded on fully in the film. But then, like I say, it's a kid's film. They're just basic character traits to give you an understanding of why this person behaves in this particular way. And that's all it is, so I'm not really too bothered that it's not the central story and it's dominates everything that happens around it and there's grand character development and changes and events and stuff. It's it's not there's no point. It's just a he is a bit of an emo dick, I suppose. But he's uh, always cool. I always uh, think Raphael's the coolest one. And and no Bebop and Rocksteady. No Bebop and Rocksteady, no, no Krang, no Ratcatcher, oh, none of that my stuff. Favorite. No techno yeah. no Technodrome. No Technodrome, no. What was, um, the point, what was the point of making it? Barely any Foot Clan, come to think of it. <laughs> was but, Shredder you know. even a rat still? Shredder was never a rat. Splinter was, was a rat? rat. Splinter was the rat. He's a very weird looking rat as well. Do you know what? Very I've strange. never actually watched a whole episode of Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles when I was a kid. Because uh, I used to have to go with my dad to pick my mum up from work at that point, And I always used to get exactly halfway through... <laughs> each episode <laughs> and then have to leave and every every week I think it was like Tuesday or something every week I would beg my dad to leave me at home so I could watch it but I was too young to be left on my own uh, <laughs> and, you were fi- and you were 15 at the time exactly yeah. <laughs> yeah. Trust I, I wouldn't go back and rewatch it because you probably <laughs> won't get anything if you saw it as a kid it's the best thing ever and I would just say never revisit it you know it's like a football manager don't go back to an old club with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, do not go back and rewatch it because it will break your heart at how crappy it is. Well, on from that then, onto the film that, well, Owen saw this one as well, but the film that I saw, relatively new release, which is 71, starring Jack O'Connell, um, who has previously been in Startup and Skins, neither of which I've seen. Um, Skins is not kind of my cup of tea from what I have seen of it, so I don't think I've watched that. Bit, bit old for that, aren't you, Steve? No, just not... not <laughs> no. <laughs> just not, okay. not not for me. Um, no. I did try watching it, and just like, yeah, ugh, boring. <laughs> uh, so I definitely didn't get as far as where Jack O'Connell was it, and I've not seen um, Startup either, although apparently he, he is very good in that. Um, but yes, this is set in 1970, 1971, obviously, that's where the title comes from. Uh, in Northern Ireland. Um, Jack O'Connell plays a soldier who is sent on his kind of first mission as a, a young recruit to Northern Ireland to help out in the situation there. Um, ends up behind enemy lines, getting lost and separated from his troop and is trying to find his way back to them. Um, excellent film. First, it's probably worth saying that this doesn't really take any kind of side politically. It could have done. And then it could have come in for a lot of grief or criticism or trouble because it's still quite a recent um, event. Uh, it's still probably quite high tensions involving what happened then. Um, but this one just plays it straight down the middle. No allegiances. There's good guys and bad guys on both sides of the conflict. Is that fair to say, Owen? Mm-hmm. Yep. It doesn't. It, yeah. It doesn't do a, a good guys and bad guys. No. It, it, there's a lot of grey areas. I mean, it could it could be set in any kind of conflict of the last 40, 50 years, really, couldn't it? Any war or yeah. conflict. Or, it could. Yeah. It just happens to pick Northern Ireland in the 70s as, it, as its backdrop, um, which does look extremely kind of realistic. Shot in Jerry McCauley's hometown of Blackburn, I think, so if you want kind of war-torn Belfast, they, there, yeah, I was gonna there say, you are. <laughs> they didn't have to do anything to it, it was just as it was. Buses yeah. burning in the streets, all that kind of thing. Yeah, no no kind of <laughs> set building Jennifer or anything. started filming. Yeah, just, <laughs> just went to Blackburn and went, right, here we go. Yeah, real guerrilla filmmaking it was. <laughs> yeah, um, but no, anyway. Um, so it's got a really good good look and good feel to it. Uh, 
I don't think anyone's ever described this film in any other way other than gritty and tense, which is probably the most accurate way of describing it, because it is, it is just like that. It feels incredibly tense watching, um, Jack O'Connell's character, whose name I forget now, um, Non-important. Uh, Who cares? No, we just called really, Jack O'Connell. Yeah, <laughs> not, re- not really important at all. Um, but, you know, he's he's constantly hiding from someone uh, or trying to escape from someone uh, or trying to get away from, from someone. He's constantly in a position where he doesn't fully trust anyone who he's with. Um, and it just, it really does feel like that. You can really get the kind of feeling that he doesn't trust anyone. Um and he is in trouble a lot. There's kind of, there's, you know, the scenes where he's having, he's in conversation, I say in conversation, he probably has about a page of dialogue throughout the whole film, but there's the scenes where he's with other characters kind of in conversation, and you get the sentence that he disrupts them, so that's really tense, but there's also scenes where he's being chased by gunmen through the streets, which are equally tense, but in a, in a, in a different way. Um, there's there's one scene which is incredibly well done which is which is a bomb blast in in a pub I won't say too much because it might give away some of the plot and the story but that just feels like you're in a cinema but you're actually in an explosion it's in yeah it is it, what a, a scene as well though the way that the whole thing is shot it's just brilliant. yeah um and really last thing i want to say is jack o'connell is 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 fantastic and like I said he's got about a page of dialogue he barely speaks in it so he's doing all his acting without talking really and is just amazing. Mm. Um, slightly, the ending lets it down. I say it's sort of like seven eighths of a of a of a good film, um, and one eighth of a slightly less good film. I think the ending it kind of just falls away a bit. Um, but in general, it's an excellent film with a with a very good uh, central cast member and a good supporting cast as well, and, and definitely something that everyone should probably go and see. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I don't think I can really add anything other than to to sort of emphasise the points that you've made because it is a really good British film with British sort of actors in it and characters directed... Because, you know, we're going to come on to Fury later and that was shot mainly in... Well, I think all of it was shot in Britain. So, you know, they're the kind of films that come up for award seasons as best British film. But actually, stuff like this sometimes can get overlooked... Um, and yeah, I know, I think it's, like I say, I can't really add anything just to agree, really. It's a very good film. Yeah, um, I mean, Jack Connell is, is gonna be set for big things if he, if he keeps up that kind of performance. I know he's, he's filming something with, with Angelina Jolie at the moment, isn't he? Or something that she's working on, directing or producing, I can't remember which. She, she's making a war film as well, isn't she? She's yeah. just directed a film set in, in the, uh, in the Pacific uh, which, during which, the war, I think. Which, which is what Jack O'Connell's going to be in. I think it's called... Um, it might be called Unbroken or Unbreakable or something oh, like yeah, that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, uh, he, he's in that. So, if he, you know, if he puts in a, a shift like he did in this one, he's uh, definitely going to be on a upward traje- trajectory. Puts in a shift. It's yeah. not a footballer. <laughs> <laughs> Everything comes down to football analogies, I'm afraid. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's got a good touch for it. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah, they Probably almost made it though. too yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> almost too good of a performance. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I was upset to miss this one. This, this was on my short list uh, to watch, and then I swiftly realised I wasn't going to be able to do it. So, um, which, which I was quite upset about. I definitely do want to catch it. I think I'll go and catch it this weekend. Sounds yeah, very yeah. Good. I don't think it's in cinemas for very long either. No, no. I, I know it's definitely playing at my local one this weekend, so I'm going to go and. Catch it while I can. Okay, uh, so that's all for what we've been watching. Up next is our is our uh, new release review of Fury, and also uh, our recommendations that will finish off the podcast for this week. So, in the final part of this week's podcast, we're going to be reviewing uh, Fury, the new World War Two film that closed London Film Festival, starring uh, Brad Pitt, Shia LaBeouf, and some others as a tank, uh, group of people in a tank uh, in World War Two. Here's a clip. What else came up tonight, guys, but uh, war's protection. We got it, don't we, boy? Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. No one blowed them down, didn't he, too? <laughs> good job, in the army, Norm. <laughs> you did good. Uh, <laughs> 
Nice job, Weber. Nice job, Weber. Nice job, Weber. Okay, so that was a clip then of uh, Fury. So, um, Carol, what did you think of that then? I know when, of course, but Carol starts off. Uh, well, I, as I said earlier, I went to see this as the closing festival, uh, closing film of the festival. And uh, to be honest, everyone is asking, you know, big big premiere, what's it like, what's it like? And it's it's honestly just not that different from being in a normal cinema. We had a bit of a, uh, this is actually the first closing gala I've been to, so it's a slightly different to to the other premieres, but honestly, you, you know, you get people on, this one was slightly different because we did have an organist come up out of the um, out of the stage, uh, played the organ for about twenty minutes. I don't, I don't even know why. No one introduced him. He just came out of the, came out of the stage and then went back down. And it was, you know, it was all very odd. And uh, and then you get the well, we had uh, speeches from people from BFI, um, and then uh, director David Ayer came on, talked about how lovely it was to film the film in Britain and how lovely it was to premiere it here, etc., etc. Um, brings on the cast, the cast give a bit of a wave, Brad Pitt says a few words, and then they all shuffle off. And then it's pretty much just like being in a normal cinema, really, except it's it's very, very full, and it's a really nice cinema, the Odeon Leicester Square, it's lovely. Um, and there's obviously, and it, there's obviously a lot of people around. Uh, and you get some free chocolate. So, you know, you can't really, you can't really complain, but it, it's not that different an experience. It looked nice. I saw, I went to the, um, the BFI put on previews in, in sort of view cinemas across yeah. the country um, through Showfilm first on the same day. And I think I spotted you on the red carpet. I was squinting as people were being sort of walking down the red carpet. I squinted. I thought, I don't think that's Carol. Um, I, am, I am quite noticeable because I have like bright red hair. Yeah. And a purple That's what dress. I was looking for. Anyone with red hair. I was like, is that Carol? Possibly. Um <laughs> It's uh, it's it's a very odd sensation because if you're walking the red carpet and you're not famous, they just want to get you off there as quickly as they possibly yeah. can. Uh, you know, because there's, there's, I think the Odeon Leicester Square holds holds a couple of thousand people, so they're just trying to shove everyone. You're obviously not allowed on there at the same time as Brad Pitt. We're we're on there at the same time as um, Jason Isaacs was being interviewed as we walked past. Uh, but you're not allowed on there at the same time as the as the big stars. So once you know you're not allowed on there. Once Brad Pitt's there, and once he's gone in, you're allowed to go in. And they're like, keep going, keep going. And yeah. everyone's getting selfies and you know taking pictures of themselves yeah. and getting pictures taken on the red carpet. Uh, and then you just sort of like herded in, and and then it just you know you just sit in the cinema for about half an hour. You you get to the bar early because they have a person. Well, not the bar, but they you have a person walking around selling. Uh, drinks and you get there early because otherwise the queue's horrific and then you just sit there with your little glass of wine and you just just chill out really um <laughs> the bouncers are hilarious as well by the way on that red carpet yeah They're just sort of swatting everyone away hands are being thrown everywhere it was fantastic to watch yeah it, really it's weird because it very much does depend on the occasion that was the most the most bouncers i've ever seen on a red carpet um when you go to kind of the smaller galas because the, there are galas virtually every night uh, like the one for Whiplash was very laid back. We just kind of wandered past. J.K. Simmons did a bit of an interview, just wandered right next to him. Uh, <laughs> so it, it does very much depend on the occasion. I think they're just a bit more jittery about kind of big stars. And I think Brad Pitt's been molested at premieres very yes, recently, hasn't yeah. he? So yeah. they're not taking any chances there. But the, uh, the film itself, uh, I thought was very good. Um, I, I thought it wasn't a great war film. It won't be held up as a shining example of a war film, but it was very, very good. I definitely didn't expect it to go by as fast as it did. I had no idea it was two and a quarter hours. It absolutely flew by. I was, oh, I was genuinely surprised. Because, well, yeah, uh, it didn't fly by for me. I think um, it definitely kind of felt like a two-hour two and a two-and-a-bit-hour-long film. Um but at the same time, I, di- I didn't find it a chore to sit through it. I think I said as much in the review on, on the website. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it, it felt like two, a two, over a two-hour long film. But, yeah, I kind of enjoyed it for that. It was quite refreshing to actually have a film that is that long and worth sitting through. 
Um, yeah. If it was shorter, it probably wouldn't have been as good a film as it was. I mean, don't get me wrong, it didn't didn't feel like an hour and a half kind of zip along, oh my god, that that was there and now it's gone type thing. And there is a bit of a sag in the middle. I'm not going to say too much, I don't want to give away too much of the story, but I think you'll probably know the bit that I'm talking about mm-hmm. uh, with the dinner, uh, yes. which does sag a little bit. But I thought, apart from that, I thought it was very well paced. Oh yeah, pacing, I haven't got an issue with the pacing of it at all. Um, Good. Nor the length, really, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> I've got an issue. No issues at all whatsoever. What yeah. have well, you got? What you. have you got an issue with, Ben Owen? Um. Well, again, it's difficult to to talk about without spoiling certain parts of it. Essentially, what what the film is about is five guys in a tank during the war. So you, obviously, Brad Pitt is uh, he plays a character called War Daddy, and he is the daddy of these guys. The daddy that's, of the uh, war. That's a nickname, isn't it, surely? No, it's his real name. His, his surname's War Daddy, and he's no. the War Daddy. No, <laughs> he, 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 your no, name for a career. <laughs> they all have nicknames. Some of them um, a bit more PC than others. Like uh, Shia LaBeouf's character's nickname is Bible, because he's a man of the faith. Um, and Michael Penner's name is Gordo, because he's Mexican, I think. And John Berenthal's um, character's name is Kunas. So, some more PC than others. Um, I think that's partly because he's from the South and, I don't know, some racism-related thing presumably comes out of that. Um, but War Daddy is... Yeah. I mean, it's partly because he is the sergeant of this tank unit. And as... Uh, as all the cast and as David Ayer was saying in interviews before the film started, um, it's about a family, really, and he does play the father of this family of, of guys who spend their whole lives in a tank on the front line, or in actually further than the front line, because they're actually in Germany. They're trying to reclaim um, Berlin during uh, sort of the close of the Second World War. So they're forcing out all these Nazis. So yeah, I mean, to go, just go back to the point that you that you made, uh, the question that you asked me about what I have a problem with. The problem I have is some of it is quite predictable. The ending is uh, kind of obvious what's going to happen, and it doesn't really shock or pull any surprises or twists. It just sort of happens as you expect it to. Yeah, we um, we thought pretty much the same thing. Yeah, I mean, it's not the. It was. I want to say it was. It was daft because of the way that it happened. But it it wasn't really daft. It was just inevitable. It just finished with. Well, I'm not going to say how it finished. I'm not going to say it at all. Just in case anyone wants to completely avoid what happens during the course of the film. But it just kind of. It, it finishes and stuff happens and then that's the end and it's just like oh well that almost. Um, are you there, Steve? Steve, are you there? Steve? Yeah. I think we've lost Owen. Hello? Can I anyone hear me? That. I've got the uh, the three dots of death. Hang on just a second. Hello? Hello, dear. You alright? Good. Sorry, my boyfriend's just coming. <laughs> oh, editing's going to suck. I bet he's still talking. <laughs> yeah, he hasn't got a clue, has he? He won't shut up. <laughs> he's waving his hands around, gesticulating wildly, and then he'll look down and see those three little dots and go, ah, oh, bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. I'm, I'm just going to keep on recording. Is that him? No, we can't, Owen. No, he's completely dropped out of the call now. Mm. Oh yeah, you've got the same thing, I see. Can I ring him, or can he... Oh, hang on, I think I can ring him back. Let me try that. Hello? 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 Hello, sorry, my Wi-Fi's gone again, so I'll just switch back to um, my uh, mobile data. Oh, okay. How long did you keep talking for? I said, going back to... um, 
the question that you asked me about negatives. Did you get that far? Yeah, and that yeah. it was a predictable ending, blah, blah, blah. It was predictable. Uh, um, I'm not sure, actually. Do you just want to start that bit again, then? Sorry. I know, yeah, I know you probably do. don't want to, but... <laughs> well, go, go for a predictable ending again. Yeah. Okay. Start from there. Um, do you want me to start now, or do you want another... No, just, just start now. So, yeah, so the negative really is that the ending is quite predictable. Um, it's a, it's just really obvious, to be honest. Um, the way that it kind of plays out towards the end. No, there's no surprises, there's, there's no twists. It's just stuff happens and it ends and you're left thinking, well, yeah, okay, that was a decent enough ending, but it didn't really have any, you know, bang or fizz to it. It was just finished um did you sort of feel the same way carol yeah i did pretty we we pretty much said the same thing you knew who was who was getting out of there and who wasn't um i just also some of the performances were really good um Mm -hmm. but i found brad pitt just playing and i hate saying this because i can't really justify it but it's just the feeling that i have when i look at brad pitt now I look at him like I look at Tom Cruise. I can only see Tom Cruise or Brad Pitt. I can't really... Like, sometimes they just don't feel like they're playing a character. They're just playing themselves, you know? (laughs) They're just like, oh, you know, there's always going to be Brad Pitt things that he does. Um, And and, take his shirt off, which I think he's written into his contract of every script he's ever signed on for. Basically. And it's kind of sketched out within the first five minutes. You know know which Brad Pitt character this is going to be. He's going to be like the grizzly, tough guy... Who, uh, you know, he sends some shit man and some stuff. And, uh, you know, it's like, I, I don't, I don't dislike Brad Pitt at all. I think he's a really good actor, but I think sometimes people write stuff for him and they get very lazy about it. And I think, I think that about Tom Cruise as well. I know James is going to hate me for that. Um, <laughs> I, I actually really liked Edge of Tomorrow because Tom Cruise was playing a bit of a dick and no one's really dared to write that sort of thing for him for a while. Uh, I really wish that someone would write something for Brad Pitt where he's not like the cool older guy who's, you know, seen some shit man and some things. Um, I feel like I've seen that a bit too often from him lately. But on the flip side, there were some really good performances. I thought Shia LaBeouf was really good. Yes. I do, like I said earlier, I kind of really like him now. I've watched him in um, Lawless in 2012. And I picked him as one of my favourite performances for that year for our Fail Critics Awards because he was really good. And I, w- it wasn't just that I was surprised because he's just the guy who's a bit shit in Snakes on a Plane and Transformers and all that kind of thing. He was actually a really good performance, so I wasn't too surprised that he was good in this. But he was he was very good. I thought. In fact, I thought all of them were pretty good. Yeah, um, yeah. I, don't, I didn't think there was a really awful performance. I, Michael Penner's uh, really good. I, I really like him, though. The only thing hmm. I've seen him in before this though, is End of Watch, and I thought he was great in that as well. Yes, so he, yeah. So he obviously just works really well with, with this director. But, um, yeah, Shia LaBeouf, I was, um, I was thinking, that's probably my favourite performance I've ever seen from him, but then I realised I've only ever seen him in Indiana Jones and Transformers. <laughs> so it's not yeah. really a high bench. I don't remember him in Snakes on a Plane. No. That was him, wasn't it, in Snakes on no, a Plane? No, I don't think it was. No. That's I think Samuel, the only famous Samuel L. Samuel L. Jackson and Keenan from Keenan and Kel. Yeah, I was going to say they're the only two famous people, and the nurse from ER. They are the only two famous people in Snakes. I'm pretty on the sure he's the guy who cycles along and sees that. Is that not him? Who's the kid so. in that then? Who actually is the one that Samuel L. Jackson's escorted? No, you don't. No. You've never seen him in anything since. I, I keep not, expecting oh. to pick up pick up in a Final Destination film at some point. Yeah, that's not Shia the Beef. No. Blimey. No, I've always had it in my memory that he was in that. There you go. There you go. Yeah, so I should do more research. (laughs) As is proved every single week. Mm. Um, (laughs) Anyway, so yeah, that's our review of Fury. Um, To brand off the podcast, just quickly, recommendations for next week. I'm going film four at nine o'clock on Friday night. If you want to see Brad Pitt in World War II again, Inglourious Bastards is on. Nice. Uh, Carol? Uh, well, on Friday, what time was, was, oh yeah, Inglorious Bastards at nine. Alright, so directly opposite your, your recommendation there. And Inglorious <laughs> Bastards is good, but on Five Star at nine o'clock, the original Final Destination is on. So, that clearly wins. Uh, cause that's, cause it's amazing. You'll, you'll know the drill. 
but this is the first time it happened. I, me, friend and I went to see this in the cinema. We cracked up. Everyone around us thought it was some sort of serious documentary about people dying, and we were <laughs> pissing ourselves laughing. And we got some very odd looks. It's great. It's you know the, the ending's rubbish, but it, it's great. Invented Desaboy. Yeah. 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 Um, um, Owen. Right. Okay. Well, I mean, I'm gonna partly why I chose Christopher Lee for the quiz at the beginning is because I watched a few films of his this week, including Rasputin, The Mad Monk, which he was brilliant in. Uh, but on iPlayer, uh, it was on TV yesterday, um, on BBC Four, is Dracula, his film um, from 1958, which was kind of like his uh, seminal performance. That was the film which propelled him um, into stardom. It's a Hammer horror film. And it really, it became the film that redefined what Dracula was on screen because before that it was just it was still just Bela Lugosi as um as Dracula in the 30s so it was you know a big moment for for the history of of the character and for for Christopher Lee one of his best performances okay so that's that's all for uh, this week's podcast then thanks for everyone who has listened once again and thanks to anyone who's contributed to the podcast or website in any way this week and we'll be back around the same time next week with another podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.